So good to be with all of you this weekend. Uh, we are launching into a brand new message series that we've entitled Habits, uh, Developing Spiritual Disciplines. And all of us, all of us have habits, right? Some are good habits, um, some are not so good habits, some are habits that we don't even recognize that we have because, well, they're habits. We just do them almost without thinking. I was thinking back to the the very first time that I ever got to speak in front of a church, uh, the first time that I ever preached a sermon, uh, it was in the midst of seminary, and uh, this little Baptist church in St. Joseph, Michigan, uh, asked if I would come and fill in the morning uh, for their pastor who was away. And uh, so Lisa and I, we were together at the time. We, uh, we went. I was all anxious and nervous. I had been preparing and studying, and I was so anxious about this, this first, you know, I just wanted it to just be just right. And, um, you know, I shared the message, and I, I stepped down, and I sat down next to my wife, Lisa, and, and you know, she's my main sounding board. I said, so, so what did you think? And she goes, <clears throat> I said, how, do, how did I, how do, how do you think I did? She goes, <clears throat> I'm like, what, 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 I mean, do you have any suggestions? She goes, <clears throat> I'm like, what? She's like, that's what you did, like, the whole time that you were up there. <laughs> I was so nervous about saying um a lot, because I had heard, like, in speech classes and in uh, homiletic courses, you know, you, you don't want to say um in between your phrases and when you get nervous or when you're trying to think about what to say next. So I just replaced the um with <clears throat> Now, thankfully, thankfully, I break, broke free from, from that habit. <coughs> um, <laughs> actually, my allergies are terrible today. So if I do that, it's not a bad habit. It's because my allergies are bad, all right? So give me some grace, all right? But we want to talk about uh, spiritual habits that help us grow deep in life. And habits sometimes take time to form, Right? We've all tried to start new habits. I mean, and if we don't get uh, some positive results right away, it's easy to just want to give up on them, right? I mean, I have eaten well and worked out twice for a whole week, and I'm seeing no results yet. I mean, this shirt is still as snug as it was before. Yeah, we, we get discouraged when, when, when the habits that we try to put in place, we don't start to see some immediate fruit from, some immediate results. And yet habits by their nature are things that take time, things that have to develop and grow, and they prepare us for whatever is next in our life. Uh, in his book, Atomic Habits, James Clear, he talks about, um, he talks about a, a forest uh, of bamboo. This is in Japan, beautiful, I mean, enormous bamboo. Here's something that I didn't know and perhaps you don't know about bamboo. This is what he says. He says, bamboo can barely be seen for the first five years as it builds an extensive root system underground before exploding 90 feet into the air within six weeks. Isn't that crazy? Bamboo just, it'll, it'll just rocket up out of the ground and we think, man, that stuff grows like crazy not recognizing that it's been a five-year-long process of developing this root system. And that's what habits are. Habits are, 
are the root system of our faith. Habits create us to be who we are going to be in the future, and they begin shaping our lives in the here and now. So over this next weeks, we're going to look at some that are maybe more well-known habits and some that maybe are a little lesser known or perhaps can even cause some confusion in our spiritual journey. We're going to look at the habit or the discipline of prayer. We're going to look at not just how to study the Bible, but how to meditate on Scripture. We're going to look at the habit of fasting, like do we do that? How do we do that? We're going we're gonna to talk about the discipline of, of sharing our faith, making an impact in other people's lives. We're going to talk about a, a, a habit of celebrating, because yet yeah, that's in God's Word too, and God is all about celebration. And then this weekend, we want to talk about the habit of confession. Confession. Something that perhaps we, we don't talk about a lot. And yet, the Bible is very clear in its teaching that, that confession ought to be a regular part of our everyday lives with God and with other people. So, what is confession? The dictionary defines it in a few ways. Uh, to confess is to acknowledge or to avow a fault, a crime, a misdeed, a weakness. And it's by way of revelation. That is, it's something that has to be revealed to God or to others because it's something up to that point that has been hidden. And we're the only ones that can reveal it. Uh, to confess means to own or to admit something as true, to own it, right? Uh, to, to confess is to declare or acknowledge one's sins, especially to God or a priest in order to obtain absolution. Depending on your religious upbringing and background, uh, we have lots of different ideas and imagery about what confession is. And let me say off the bat here that regardless of what your past experience has been, confession is a good thing, both with God and even with others. And that's what what we're going to look about. Uh, Now, the, the Bible word that is most often translated confess literally simply means to say the same thing as. That is, when we confess to God, we're really saying the same thing about ourselves that God has already said about us. It's in owning and admitting. God, I mean, there's nothing that we can tell God that he does not already know. We're simply saying the same thing. God, you know what? I'm, I know you know that I'm guilty, and I know that I'm guilty. And I confess to own it, to admit it, to say the same thing. As that, so that's what confession is. But perhaps the bigger question is why. Why confession? Is this something, like, is this just some sort of thing that we've got to do? Is it meant to, to make us feel guilty? Is it, is it something that is a performance thing? Why confession? Confession has everything to do with our relationships, both our relationship with God and our relationship with others. We always say here at the chapel, our mission is to help People move one step closer to God and each other. And without confession, we will never move closer to God. And dare I say, we will struggle to truly grow closer to one another without 
this habit being developed in our lives. In 1 John uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, John says this. He says, this is the message that we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. So this was something that Jesus directly heard from Jesus himself. And he was relaying it on to the people and he's relaying it on to you and to I today. He says, this is what we declare. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So, he says, we are lying if we say that we have fellowship with God, but we go on living in spiritual darkness. He says, we're not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son. It cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8, and if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and we're not living in the truth essentially what john is saying why confession because we all need it because we're all sinful we all blow it we all make mistakes we we are all rebels at heart and we need confession it is a gift from god to us another reason why we need confession and a motivation towards it, it's the verse that directly follows this passage. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. So after he's talked about our need, that if we're just living our life and we never bring these things before God, we're lying to ourselves, we're fooling ourselves, we're, not, we're living in darkness, but then he ends it saying these words, but if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our job is confessing. God's job, God's promise, is that he, he will forgive. We confess. He is in the business of forgiveness. So why confession? <laughs> because the things that are hidden are the most dangerous things. Gateway Community Church, one of the Bible studies that I was reading a week ago, says the most dangerous problems in life are the hidden and unknown problems. These are the problems that lurk below the surface, they write, undetected, wreaking havoc, or preparing to make themselves known. They compare unconfessed sin to cancer. The most dangerous form of cancer is the cancer that we don't know is there. And that it's not being treated. And yet, this is what we do sometimes with, with another, another danger in our life. When it comes to our sins, our shortcomings, our secrets, we'll do one of two things. We'll either confess it or we'll conceal it. And unfortunately, many of us, we've become professional concealers. Hiding talking around the real issues that maybe sometimes are going on in our life uh, because of, of fear or, or pride. We don't want to open up to God, and we certainly don't want to open up to another person like if they knew that about me. We've got to stop seeing the church as a fellowship of saints and recognize that it's actually a fellowship of sinners that are, that are, that are moving one step closer to God. One of our co core values here at the chapel is authenticity. That we're real people, but we're real people in process. So the question is, what are we going to do? 
with our own mess-ups and mishaps? Are we going to confess it or are we going to conceal it? And in Psalm 32, we get this window into uh, David's life. It's like a journal entry of what was going on in his heart and soul in the midst of a real mistake. He had sinned with Bathsheba, committed adultery, had covered up um, a murder of, of Uriah the Hittite, Bathsheba's husband. And in, in, this, in this psalm, we find both what happened in David's heart and life when he confessed and also what happened when he tried to conceal it. Look at it with me. Psalm 32, verse 1, he says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. You see the, the joy, the freedom that David's talking about here? What it means to have confessed and found forgiveness and freedom? What if, we, what if we could live with no secrets? This is the kind of life that David's trying to lead us to. And it's, it's born out of the habit of confession. So you see some positive effects that, that happened in David's life, but that's not how it began. Look at the rest of the passage. He says, but when I refused to confess, that is, when I concealed it, when I tried to hide it, when I didn't come clean with God or other people about what I had done, he says, what happened? My body wasted away. I groaned all day long. He says, day and night, God's hand was heavy upon me, his hand of discipline. There was a heaviness in his life. He says, my strength, it evaporated like water in the summer heat. David's pointing to the negative effects that happen in our life when we conceal instead of confess. And he talks about physical problems because of it, emotional, mental problems because of it, spiritual problems because of it. Listen, when David concealed it, in essence, he's saying it was eating away at my soul. And this is why he's trying to lead us to confession instead of concealment. And then he says in verse 5, but finally, finally I, I stopped concealing. I stopped hiding. I stopped talking around it. I came clean. He says, finally I confessed all my sins to you. I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And that's what it is. He says, and you forgave me. Remember, our job is confessing. God's job is forgiving. It's his promise to us. And I love what he says at the end of Psalm 32. It's like a plea to everybody that would listen. It's a plea to you and I. He says, therefore, let, the, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time so that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. This is the why of confession. When we conceal it, it will tear us up inside, and it will eventually come out, and it will eventually take us down. And that's why he's challenging us to develop the habit of confession. So what's the next step question? Maybe to take some time to think, what are some of the results of unconfessed sin that I have seen or maybe I'm currently seeing in my life? Do I see any of those things that David was talking about 
when he said, when I refused to confess, I was being eaten alive. My strength was sapped. Restlessness, anxiety, a heavy weight upon our life. If we're experiencing some of those things, it could be there's something that's left unattended to in our souls. Well, I want us to talk about two different types of confession. And the first uh, part of confession is, first and foremost, confession to God. And when you think about it, our, our relationship with God begins with confession. In fact, I would, I would say we can't have a relationship with God without confessing to God. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, such a powerful passage. says, if we openly declare, that word also is translated acknowledge, that word is also translated confess. So if we openly declare, acknowledge, come out of hiding, confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, it says, you will be saved. That is, you will be rescued. Rescued from what? Rescued from our own sin and the penalty for our sin and and the judgment that could come. He's saying, you want to be rescued. You want an escape plan. You want a a whole new start. He says, it begins with confession. Verse 10, he says, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is through openly declaring, confessing our faith that we are saved. Our relationship with God is begun with confession. But it's not just a one-time deal. It's meant to become a pattern in our lives. Well, because we're not perfect yet, right? We're all in process. And so the challenge is to keep short accounts with God and, and with others and to continue to go to Him. And we can go to Him. In fact, we can go directly to God because of Jesus. Just a few weeks ago, I was sitting in my office with a young guy who wanted to come and visit the chapel. He had all kinds of questions. He had a very different religious background and upbringing. And he was asking all kinds of questions. We're sitting and we're talking. We're coming to the close of our time together. And he said, all right, but I just need to know, can I still, can I still confess to you? <laughs> and and he, he, was, he was wanting to confess to a pastor, to a, to a priest, to, a, to somebody that you know, had some sort of uh, spiritual clout with God, I guess. And it was such a powerful opportunity for me to tell him, you know, you, you can share whatever you want to share with me. But I want you to know, you can go directly to God. You, you don't need me in that sense. There's nothing between you and God if, if you have Jesus. That's what the writer of Hebrews was trying to help us understand. He says in verse 14 of chapter 4, So then, since we have a great high priest, yeah, we do need a priest, and we have one. He says, who has entered heaven? Who is that priest? Who is this high priest? It's Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God. He says, so let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours, Jesus, he understands our weaknesses, it says. He faced all the same testings as we do, and yet he did not sin. And so he says, so, verse 16, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. You can go directly to God because of Jesus. He's the high priest. I love what what Paul said to Timothy. There's, There's only one mediator between God and humanity, 
the man Christ Jesus. When it comes to confession, we can go directly to God because of what Jesus has done. Richard Foster, in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, says, without the cross, the discipline of confession would only be psychologically therapeutic. It would be just something to make us kind of feel better. He says, but it is so much more. It involves an objective change in our relationship with God and a subjective change within us. This is the power of confession. When we first confess our sins before God, there is a a change in status in us before God Almighty. And then there becomes a daily in and out change in our own life because of the freedom that's found when we discover confession. So it begs the question, well, how do I know I you know, said the right words, or is there a specific prayer that I need to say? What's really involved when it comes to confession? I love what St. Alphonsus uh, Liguori says. For a good confession, he says, three things are necessary. An examination of conscience, sorrow, and a determination to avoid sin. An examination of conscience. It's why, the, why David in another psalm said, search me, O God. I'm an open book. Point out anything in me that's wicked or wrong and lead me in the way everlasting. It's it's an examination of our conscience before God. It's it's regularly, daily going before him and saying, God, is there anything, is there some thought, is there some attitude, some action that I've had that has hurt you, that has offended you, that has damaged another? Bring Bring it to my mind and understanding. And then sorrow. I love when David said, against you, God, you alone have I rebelled. Name it for what it is. Recognize it. And be sorry for it. And then a determination. A determination to go the other direction. To walk away from what was. To embrace what could be. So maybe a next step question for us this weekend, to what extent am I worshiping God externally, but internally rebelling against him? I don't like that question. <laughs> you know, it's, I, you know when, when we get to worship together, sometimes I just, I'm not even looking up here at the band, I just like to look around and look at, look at all of you. It's powerful to see our church family just worshiping God together. But I know that it's very possible for us to come here on Sunday and sing the songs and mouth the words and even raise a hand. And our hearts could be, be going in a completely different direction if we, if we really got real. God's heartbeat for all of us, our heartbeat for all of us, there's no secrets. Just complete honesty and freedom before God and others. And I'm telling you, there's nothing like that. So I want to close our time talking about another level of confession. And I said before, we don't, we don't need a priest, we don't need a pastor. Because of what Jesus has done, we can go directly to God with anything that we've done. But there is something about going to another. You know, throughout the New Testament, we read all these one another phrases that talk about community life 
in, in, in the church, uh, the way that it's meant to be, that, that, we, that we pray for each other and we encourage one another and we exhort one another and we teach one another and we sing with one another. But we don't often talk about this other one another that is included in God's word for us. Look at James chapter 5, verse 16. He says, here's another another. <laughs> Confess your sins to each other. What? I thought we just, you know, I could keep it between me and God. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed because the earnest prayer of a righteous person, he says, has great power and produces wonderful results. Here's what I would say about this. God will absolutely forgive you and forgive me. And we can go to him with anything. But I think it's very possible that there, that there may be things that we, we've confessed to God, that we've talked to God about, that we know that he's forgiven us, that we know that when Jesus went to the cross, he died on the cross and paid for that mistake, for that sin, for that wrongdoing. And yet, it keeps coming back to haunt us. That, that somehow we, we, we can't fully escape our past. Something that c- continues to come up in our minds and thoughts that it, it still leads to regret. It, there's something that feels like it's left unattended to. And I think it's very possible that we could confess before God and He's forgiven us and He's not going to bring it up again and He's not going to hold it against us any longer. But that we're still dealing it potentially because we're missing confessing to another brother or sister in Christ. That's why I think James says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. That there may be a healing that won't come to our souls until we say it out loud to another soul. There's something that happens, you know, I can, you know, confess my shortcomings to God, you know, and it's best and easiest if it's just quiet, you know, me and him. But something else happens when we go before God and say the words out loud. Or when we go before another and we tell them what we've done and we take a risk. We don't know what their response will be. We don't know how they'll react I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about this. He says, A man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. And he experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. As long as I am by myself, he says in confession, my sins, uh, everything remains in the dark. But in the presence of another brother, the sin has to be brought to the light. And remember what John wrote, God, who is light, and in whom there is no darkness at all. And if we, if we want to have fellowship with him, we will walk in the light. We have to step out of the shadows, step out of the darkness, and take the risk of telling another person. So an, uh, one, that's why community is so important here at the chapel. Having those kind of friendships, those kind of people that we can, yeah, pray for and encourage, but people that, that we could confess to if and when needed. 
Ryan Orshosky um, is our newest staff member here at the chapel. I've known Ryan for, for several years. It's been so powerful to see kind of the evolution in his life, the change that's been brought about in life. He's going he's gonna to be championing our, our small group efforts, our connection groups, and our spiritual growth classes and helping coordinate some of those efforts. And this is what Ryan had to say. He said, the spiritual growth in my life has been a direct result of allowing myself to be fully known. For many years, he said, my life has been marked by image management and isolation, but I was transformed through intimate, vulnerable relationships within the body of Christ. You know what's changed Ryan's life is being a part of a men's group where he could be very real, where they could pray for each other and encourage each other and challenge each other, and yes, even confess to each other. And so I want to leave us with one last next step question. What's one thing, perhaps you've even thought about it already this morning, one thing that you know you need to confess to at least one person? Maybe it's, the, it's that one thing that keeps coming back, that, that one thing that you're so afraid to utter. But what if, what if confessing it to another brother or sister in Christ what if that could lead to a whole new freedom in our hearts and minds? This is the power of confession. Uh, one of my favorite pastors and authors is John Ortberg. And in his book, John Ortberg writes about an experience in confession. And I just want to read it, with, read it to you. He says, one of the most important moments of my spiritual life was when I sat down with a longtime friend and I said, I don't want to have any secrets anymore. He says, I told him everything that I was most ashamed of. I told him about my jealousies, my cowardice, how I hurt my wife with my anger. I told him about my history with money and my history with sex. I told him about my deceit and regrets that keep me up at night. He says, I felt vulnerable, and I was afraid that I was going to lose my friendship with him. But much to my surprise, as I spoke these words, he didn't ever look away. And then John Orberg writes, I'll never forget his next words to me. John, he said, I've never loved you more than I love you right now. He writes, the very truth about me that I thought would drive him away became a bond that drew us closer together forever. This is the kind of honesty that God longs for us to experience first and foremost with him, but with another person. Because sometimes it's as we share with that other person that we see the eyes of Jesus looking back at us. We feel the compassion of Jesus through that person to us. And perhaps we might even hear the words of Jesus through that brother or sister saying, you're forgiven. You're free. Let's keep moving on. So this is the way I'd like to close our service together. We're going to 
put some music on softly in the background. And uh, as I was researching for this, for this message, uh, one, one author that I was reading said that they, he was challenged to do something, to, to just take a few moments to think through the different phases of his life and to ask the question, is there anything for which I feel regret or guilt? And so I'm going to lead us through that time, and we'll start playing the music now. And then at the end, I'd just like to read an excerpt of Psalm 51, which is another window into the heart of David. It's actual, his actual confession before God. And perhaps if we can't put words to our own confession, the words of David can become our own. So I'm going to ask us to just close our eyes for a moment. And this is just a, a time before you and God. And I just want you to take a moment to, to think about your childhood. Is there anything from your childhood for which you feel regret or guilt? Anything that's left unattended to? thank you that you know you care and you forgive now take a moment to, to just think about your adolescent years or maybe the college years is there anything for which you feel regret or guilt maybe something that you've never even brought to God or certainly never brought before another person. Jesus, we thank you that you know and that you care and that you can forgive them. And even as adults, many of us in this room, there's, as good Christian people that have an image, there may be things that we know we've done or said or attitudes that we've carried, things that are getting in the way of our closeness to God and maybe even towards others. Is there anything that I feel regret or guilt over? that to Jesus. And so God, we pray with David, have mercy on me, O oh God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned, and I have done what is evil in your sight. And you, God, will be proved right in what you say. Your judgment against me is just. 
And so purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, Jesus, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, but now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that nothing we've thought has surprised you. And you love us even more. God, I pray that you would help us to step into the freedom of confession. That it would become a habit in our life, both with you and even with others. Jesus, we thank you for your grace, mercy, and your forgiveness. Help us to be free this week. In Jesus' name.